As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. Let us go to two locations in Scripture, Hebrews 11.1 and Romans 8.8. Hebrews 11.1 1, and Romans 8.8. 8. We have been for some time discussing the subject of faith. Our lesson is titled Faith Still Works. And we're just going to do a brief review and we'll pick up where we left off. Hebrews 11.1 1 and Romans 8.8. 8, we will look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Are you there? I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews 11.6. Let us read verse 6 together. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let us now read up to the word him together. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Can we all agree that the him being referred to is God? All right, let us now read up to the same point and exchange the word him for God, ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let us look at Romans 8.8 8 now. Romans 8.8. 8. And let us read that together, ready, read. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what do we see here? We see that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those in the flesh cannot please God. So if those in the flesh cannot please God, and it is impossible to please God without faith, then when one is in faith, one is not in the flesh. So the, 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 the type of law subject that we're dealing with is a spiritual law, a spiritual subject, a spiritual principle, because those in the flesh can't please God. Those in faith can please God. So when I'm walking in faith or walking by faith, I'm walking in the spirit, not walking in the flesh. So if without faith, it's impossible to please God. It must be of some great importance to the believer. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. He said that the just live by faith. The declared righteous live by faith. I live 24-7. Therefore, faith is a lifestyle. Well, if faith is a lifestyle, if it's what I live by, if it's what I walk by, then I need to have an understanding of what faith is. Uh, we, we define faith 
Bible faith. Jesus, by his actions, defines faith for us. And Bible faith is acting on what you believe. That is what faith is, acting on what you believe. You hear the word of God, you believe the word of God. If you believe it to be true and want it to benefit you, then you must act on what you believe. If you believe that the word of God is the absolute truth, then as Christians, faith for us is acting on the word of God. Now, how do we know this? Well, we see in Scripture, many people believed a number of things, but they didn't just stop at what they believed. They went past what they believed and acted on what they believed, and we saw a change in their life. We saw lepers cleansed. We saw a woman with an issue of blood made whole. So we see that if it was just about believing something, I wouldn't even have to move. I can stay in one location and believe everything and it should come to pass or it should benefit me. But that's not what we see in scripture. We see people acting on what they believe. We see a, a person act and Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. Your, your faith has made you well. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? So Jesus is targeting their faith. And we notice that with faith, we saw people at a, a particular level of assurance and confidence. A confidence that what they were requesting would, not might, but would come to pass. Whatever they were believing for would come to pass. Not might come to pass, but would come to pass. A leper asked, Lord, if you're able, you can cleanse me. I'm sorry, Lord, if you're willing. He knew he was able. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. Jesus said, I'm willing. He was cleansed, cleansed from that very hour. We left off our last example where the, the ten lepers, they wanted to be cleansed. And Jesus simply said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one, the Samaritan came back to glorify God. And he was made whole. So we clearly see that faith requires action. I can't just sit around and do nothing and expect God to move on my behalf. He's already sent his word. I must act on the word of God. When we were last together, I gave you a particular nugget. Turn to Romans 14. All right, look at verse 22. I told you this, some of you may have written this down. That with faith comes assurance and confidence. Guilt and condemnation cannot be in the equation. That's why you can't be in sin and faith at the same time. With faith comes assurance and confidence. Guilt and condemnation cannot be in the equation. That is why you cannot be in sin and faith at the same time. Why? Because with faith comes assurance and confidence. With sin comes guilt and condemnation. A guilty, condemned man is not confident in himself. Romans 14, 23, 22 says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats 
because he does not eat from faith. What does the latter part say? For whatever is not from faith is sin. They do not coexist. If you're in sin, you're not in faith. Automatic. If you're in faith, you're not in sin. Automatic. Because whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. Now, whatever is not of faith is sin. There are those of us that desire to be in faith, but there are some things preventing our petitions from being answered and things manifesting in our lives. And those things are not normally looked at as sin, but they are sin. Now, now, now willful sin, of course, is going to prevent things from happening in your life. That's just a fact. But there are some things that we don't look at as sin. Some of us don't look at it as sin, but it really is a sin because we've been commanded not to do it. So if you've been commanded not to do it and you do it, it's sin, even though it may not feel like a sin because we're used to the fleshly sins. But any commandment of God that is violated is a sin. All right. Now, I said last time that there are viruses to your faith. There are things that can taint your faith. I call them faith killers. They'll kill your faith instantly. Number one is worry. Worry. You do not show that you love me by worrying about me. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Worry is not healthy. A doctor can confirm that. Worrying is not good for you. And we don't realize what we're saying to God when we worry. How do you worry? God said, take your cares because they're too heavy for you. Put them on me. Now, see, see, this is why faith is so important, because, see. We don't have ten. I mean, you don't take your tangible care and, and, and place it on God, but that's how you have to look at it. So you take that care, you take it off of you and you put it on God and it's no longer on you. So you have nothing to worry about. There's no need to worry because it's on God and he's big enough to handle it. Matthew 6, says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Well, what are the things? You know, we quote the scripture quite a bit. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. Well, what things? It'd be nice if we could find out what the things are. Well, you know, if Jesus is speaking. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God. I would assume that the things are good things, but I'd still like to know what those good things are. We can just step back a, a few verses and find out what the things are. And remember now, Jesus is speaking and he's not giving a suggestion here. He's giving a commandment. Faith killer number one, worry. M Matthew chapter six, verse twenty five. New King James Version reads, therefore, I say to you, do not worry, he said, about your life. 
Traditional says take no thought. And give it attention. Jesus said, do not worry about your life. Your life includes everything going on in your life. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. All right, so if Jesus tells me not to worry about my life and I worry about my life, that's disobedience. That's sin. All right, we're believing God for something, but we're worrying. You can't believe God and worry at the same time. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute. The computer's in heaven. It doesn't register. He says, do not worry about your life. Then he breaks it down into a few categories, but you can expand on this. He says, what you will eat, so don't worry about that. What you will drink, don't worry about that. He says, nor about your body, what you will put on, don't worry about that. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And guess what? Right before that, he said, don't worry about your life. So anything else going on in your life, don't worry about where you're going to live. And don't worry about what you're going to drive. And don't worry about when you're going to get married. Don't, don't worry about those things. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, are you not of more value than the birds? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, how is it benefiting you? How's worrying helping you out? It's not helping you out. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. All those are the things. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Which things? The things that your heavenly father told you not to worry about. The things that your heavenly father knows that you need, but told you not to worry about. Now imagine that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the things that you're not supposed to worry about will begin to seek you because it's automatic. He says, seek first, and those things will be added to you. So if I focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then my things are taken care of. If you spend your time seeking the kingdom, you don't even have time to worry. You don't have time to worry. And how do you not worry? Just like this, right here. So I'm not worried. Lackadaisical attitude towards any negative report. Whatever. Not worrying. See, this is, you know, sometimes we, we, we open the door in our lives. We let things in. We didn't mean to. You know, we don't mean to let the flies in the house, but the door was open and they got in. Now that the fly is in the house, I got to deal with the fly. But I'm not going to be worried about the fly. You know, I'll take care of the fly. You go to the doctor's office, there's an x-ray. They show something's not right. You look at that x-ray and you just, okay, well, I guess we're just going to have to take care of this. But I'm not losing sleep. 
and I'm not stressing out over this because he told me not to worry about my life. So I'm not worried. Now, look here, verse 26, you know, he's talking about the lilies of the field and he's talking about the birds of the year. But he says something very interesting. He says, I take care of the birds. I take care of the lilies of the field. How much of more value are you than they? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow. Let's just stop right there. It's the birds don't sow. And I take care of the birds. He said, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, they don't bring into the storehouse, they don't give. You children of God, you're sowers. And because you're sowers, you're reapers, and you gather into barns. How much more will he take care of you? So there's no need to worry. Faith killer, number two, doubt. Doubt is very dangerous. Turn to Mark eleven, twenty-three, And you got to be careful because it's subtle. Doubt will creep in under the radar. Doubt, doubt is, a, is a stealth virus. Sometimes you can't identify it. But you can, you can tell when a person is speaking in doubt because within their conversation, the, concert, the, the conversation is, is schizo. You know, it, it's, 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 it's going left and then it goes right and goes left again and then it goes right. You can, tell, you can tell when a person is in doubt, just ask them what they're believing for. Because see, a person is not going to just tell you what they're believing for. They're going to tell you what they're believing for and then they're going to tell you how things have been going. And then you can hear what comes right out of their mouth. And then you'll know if it's doubt. I had a friend, of, uh, a friend of my wife. She was believing for a child. And um, I, we weren't married yet, right? I don't think we were, we were married yet. We were married. She would come home and she would tell me the conversations that she'd have with this girl. And the girl wanted a particular gender. But I knew she wasn't going to get what she was believing for based on what she was telling my wife. And I'll show you some of those words in a second. But Mark eleven twenty three says, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to extract a part out of this verse and then I'll add it in later. All right. So I'm going to read it like this. Mark eleven twenty three says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So watch this now. Jesus says, whoever says something will have what he says. There is but one thing preventing you from having what you say. And it's right there in the middle of the verse. What did he say? He says, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. But believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. So when I say something, what just came out of my mouth, I better believe it. And if I believe what I just said, I'm going to have what I said. The only thing preventing me from having what I say is doubt. Oh, and doubt is so easy to do. All right, verse 24 says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. 
But if there's doubt in your heart, you won't have them. Because see, when you doubt, when, when you're uncertain, you know, it's, 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 it's very similar to worrying. It's like, God, your word's not good enough. I mean, I know you said it in your word, but there goes one of those doubt words right there. See, and you can tell in that conversation. You hear the words, but and if, oh, that's not faith. Those aren't faith words. You can't be in faith and say if. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute. For example, Mark eleven twenty four. He says, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. If you end this kind of prayer with if it be thy will, it's not coming to pass. Oh, my gosh, did he just just what did he just say? Well, no, I, I didn't say never pray if it be thy will. I didn't say that. But you better not ever pray if it be thy will when praying the prayer of faith. You pray the you pray if it be thy will when you pray the prayer of consecration and dedication. Like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. But when praying the prayer of faith, if you say if it be your will when it is his will. If you say if it be your will and he just told you it was his will. Doubt. You didn't believe him the first time. You might as well slap him in the face and tell him your word's not good enough. I can't take you at your word. When you doubt. And I remember the conversations I'd have with my wife. She'd come home and she'd say, well, she said, um, you know, I, I can't wait till so-and-so gets here. Well, you know, if it's a boy. And I'm like. Wait a minute, but you just told me she was believing for the boy. I, I, she, she killed it right there. She killed it right there. And you know what happens in these situations? When it gets to the end and what you're believing for doesn't come to pass, then, you know, people, they just put it off on God. Well, you know, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, I guess it was the Lord's will. I guess it was God's will. Act like God's will is something separate from his word. Like there's his word and then there's his will. No, his word is his will. So when you have doubt in your heart, what you believe for, it's not going to come to pass. Can't be a doubter. All right, look at Hebrews 10, And you know what we need to do? <laughs> you know, we need to do it out of a motive of love. But, you know, Christians, you need to start. You need to start helping your brothers and sisters out. You really do. You had that conversation with them? Uh -uh. When, you hear that, when you hear that bad word come out of their mouth, you need to stop right there and say, look here, that's not coming to pass unless you change your confession. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not coming to pass for you. You need to fix that. Identify it right there on the spot. You got to identify the enemy right there on the spot. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What is wavering? You know, let's look at James chapter one. 
James chapter 1, verse 6. James chapter 1, verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. The traditional says wavering. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without doubting, without wavering. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, without wavering. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So you can't be a doubter. If you doubt, it's not coming to pass. If you worry, it's not coming to pass. Because you're saying that you, you can't trust God. You're saying he's not big enough to handle your problem, to handle your issue. All right. Faith killer. Number three is unbelief. Look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Look at the 19th verse. Matthew 17, 19 says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Well, why did they come to him and ask this? Because they tried to cast out a demon a few verses up. The demon wouldn't come out. And Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be here with you? Bring the child to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out that very hour. And then the disciples said, well, Jesus, you know, I mean, you gave us authority to use your name. So how come we couldn't cast the demon out? Verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Unbelief. Unbelief is worse than worry and doubt. Why? Because when you're in unbelief, you are literally saying, I don't believe. Unbelief is looking at God's word and saying, I don't believe that. I don't believe you, God. And Hebrews 3.12 calls a heart of unbelief evil. So unbelief is evil. Number four is fear. Second Timothy 1.7 says what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Jesus oftentimes says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We've been commanded to only fear God. And if you fear God, you'll fear nothing less. So these are viruses and killers of our faith. Worry, doubt, unbelief, and fear. These are reasons as to why petitions don't come to pass. These are the reason as to why things we desire and need don't manifest in our lives because we're worrying and because we're doubting and because we don't believe and because we're afraid. And you can't be in any of those things and be in faith. A man of faith is a fearless man. I'm not afraid. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That man is not afraid. 
And we have plenty of examples in Scripture to show us how to, how to approach a situation that in the natural seems impossible. But by faith in the power of God, it is possible. <clears throat> All right, let me give you this right here. Our root, our foundation, our core is in Christ Jesus and him alone. Our root, our foundation, our core is in Christ Jesus and him alone. All right now, 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 listen to what I'm about to say. Right, listen first, and then write it down. Our root, our foundation, our core is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Our faith has to be. Everyone say has to be. Has to be. Our faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ, not the principle. When our faith is in the person. We understand why the principle works. Our faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ. And not the principles that you hear me say to you. When your faith is in Jesus, you understand why the principle works. You have to be very careful. Not to put your faith in me, not to put your faith in Dr. Price or any other pastor that stands before you. Your faith cannot be in that man. Your faith cannot be in his words. Your faith has to be in God's word. Your faith cannot be in this pastor. Your faith must be in that pastor. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. When you learn this, you are not moved by anything in the natural. You're not moved by any circumstances. You're not moved by any person because you're not looking to me. You're not looking to me for your sustenance. You're not looking to me as your source. Scripture confirms this. Hebrews chapter 12. When you have it, say I have it. All right. Let us look at verse one. Let's see what I'm talking about. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto I'm not looking unto you. Don't take offense to that. That's why I, I don't care what people say. I'm sorry, I just don't. I, 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 I can't, I can't afford to. He said, looking unto Jesus. I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm not looking unto anyone else. Watch this. He says, looking unto Jesus. Oh, I like the way they say this. The author and finisher of my faith. That means Jesus pinned my faith. It started with him. It finishes with him. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
I am looking unto Jesus. He is the author and finisher of my faith. My faith is in Jesus. Look here in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Acts chapter 3, 16th verse. All right, are you there? All right, I'm going to read what it doesn't say. Acts 3, 16. And his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. I'll read it again. And his name has made this man strong. And his name has made this man strong. Isn't that what the verse says? What does the verse say? Oh, it says, and his name through faith in his name. Where is your faith? In his name. Where is your faith? In Jesus. That's where my faith is. All right. Paul, Paul makes it clear. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Be careful not to get caught up in the eloquent speech of the pastor. Be cautious that you do not get caught up in the way he presents his sermon. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Let's look at verse 4. He says, In my speech and my preaching were not with per, uh, persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He pointed them away from his, from his speech. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. Your faith's not in me. Your faith is, in, is not in what little wisdom I have and what great wisdom Dr. Price has. But your faith is in the power of who? Of God. That's where my faith is. It's in God. It's in Jesus. It's in his name. Total Trust, reliance, and assurance is in God and no one else. And when you do that, God will not let you, let you down. Here, let me give you an example. You might find this to be silly, but it was real to me. I, at a point in my life, was a live hard Laker fan. <clears throat> yes, I said live hard, not die hard. I was an avid Laker fan. Now, mind you, I still like the Lakers. It's my city. It's Los Angeles. I like my team. However, I was very passionate about the Lakers. Very, 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 very passionate about my Lakers. And uh, in the year 2000, Shaq and Kobe had Phil in their corner. First season. Western Conference Finals, Portland Trail Blazers. We're up three games to one, and we let them come back and tie the series. And then in game four, we give them the lead in the fourth quarter. Do you know how stressful that day was for me? <laughs> but we pulled it out. <laughs> we pulled it out. We pulled out. All right, then we come back next year in 2001, and, you know, our season, you know, we, we, we uh, 11 games less. We were 67 and 15 in 2000. We're only 56 and 26. But in the playoffs, we sweep everybody. We sweep everybody. 3 0. 
We get to Philly and they win the first game. That was stressful for me because we were going to sweep the entire series. But it's okay. We did our thing. But the next season, we met the Sacramento Kings in the Western Conference Finals. And if any of you were watching that, that was very, 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 very stressful. <laughs> now, 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 watch where I'm going with this. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was rough for me because I felt like this is my team and they can't lose. And then the next year, they lost. They lost. They didn't even make it to the conference finals. My team let me down. Then they had to nerve to beat the Spurs next year, go to the finals, and be made. The Pistons made an example of them. Watch this, though. And then right before that, watch this, right before that happened, I'm also a football fan. I'm a Raider fan. We went to the Super Bowl. Now, watch this. Now, hear what I'm saying now. See, this, this, is, this, this is the fan speaking. We let the Raider coach go to Tampa Bay and make an example of us in the Super Bowl. After the Raiders lost the Super Bowl and the Lakers lost in the finals, I said, that's it, I'm through. And I, no, no, hear me now. I said, I'm through with this. I said, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done. I don't care anymore. I don't care if they win or lose. Because I realized, you know what, doggone it, this team ain't God. No, God will never let me down. God will never lose. There will never be a victory that God will lose. Man is going to let me down. No, I'm serious. That is the revelation that I got from that. Man will let you down. He will. If your trust and your assurance and your reliance is in that man and that man making you happy, you're going to be let down. But if you take that faith and place it in God Almighty, Most High God, He will never, ever, ever, a day in your life, let you down. Never. And that's where I'm at right now. You know, so, so, th you know, so there's a friend of mine, and I won't say Billy's name, but, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he was, he's trashing my Lakers yesterday, but you, uh, uh, or, or, or was it whatever day it was. But you know what? I, I, I wasn't moved. So I wasn't, you know why? Because I'm not, I'm not concerned with him anymore. I'm seriously, I'm not, I'm not, I, 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 let, I let the whole sports thing go. I said, you know what? Now, for any of you that are a sports fan, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in those stressful situations. And, and, and when your team loses, you get upset. That team ain't doing nothing for you. They're not paying no bills. They're not giving you none of that money. They're not doing nothing for you. And we're upset. And that's why I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm, I'm, my blood pressure's raising. Come on, it's not that serious. That's how I was, I'm done with this. Done. Done. It's over. No more. I'm through. And the Holy Spirit taught me a lesson. Man's going to let you down. So you, you can bank on that. I don't mean, I don't mean your, a, a particular individual or your loved ones, but if your faith is not in God, if your faith is in the wisdom of men, if you're not looking unto Jesus, you're going to be let down. So don't be caught off guard when you are let down. Because guess what? You're, you're putting your faith in imperfect vessels. You're putting your faith in imperfect individuals. You're going to get let down at some point. But God is flawless. We're talking flawless victories. He is undefeated. I'm talking no loss. His statistics, look through the scripture, look at his stats. He never let you down. He never let you down. And so I decided, you know, my faith is going to be in God. So when God lets me down, then, you know, you know, I'll give up on God. But so far, so good. He hasn't let me down. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, that's where my faith is. My faith is in God. 
Now turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2.20, because, you know, we've heard, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we've heard, the just shall live by faith. But, you know, Paul wrote both of those in his letters. Paul was writing to the church at Rome, and Paul was, was writing to the church at Corinth. So, so in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2. Paul says the same thing, but I like what he says here. Paul's saying, this is who my faith is in. When I told you we walk by faith, when I said to just live by faith, this is where my faith was, and this is who my faith is in. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the flesh which I now live, I mean, I'm sorry, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith but he doesn't stop there does he he says i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me paul says we walk by faith in the son of god the just shall live by faith in the son of god i no longer live that old life i now live the life i live in the flesh by faith in the son of god my faith is in jesus my faith is in God. Raise your hand right now. Let me know if God has let you down, if Jesus has let you down, if the Holy Spirit has let you down. Never has happened. And to individuals that feel like God has left them down, it's because they don't have a revelation of who God is and how he works. See, when they understand his nature and character, when things go wrong, you realize, okay, it's either my fault or I didn't open the door and allow the devil in. Because God, it's not God. It's never God. It's always me. He'll never let me down. My faith is in him. Now, because my faith is in him, I have the right to be confident. Now, how come I have the right to be confident? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, we can't discuss faith and not discuss our level of confidence here. Ah, some people, they get the confidence and the arrogance thing mixed up. Let me tell you what true arrogance is. True arrogance is when I brag on myself and about everything I've obtained and I will not tell you how I got it. I will not tell you so I can keep that large gap in between us. I can stay up here and you can stay down there. I'll continue to brag. I'll continue to boast, but I'll never bring you up with me. That's arrogance. Confidence is me saying who I am, what God has done for me. And it's okay to think high of yourself. Of course, what does Romans 12 say? Not to think more highly than you ought to think. Which means it's okay to think highly. Just not more highly than you ought to think. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That what? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, here we go now. The scripture just said that the one that knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. Now, we'll talk about it a little bit later on in the lesson, but I'll mention this briefly. Righteousness 
is not something that you live out. Righteousness is who you are. So you, you, you don't live righteous and you, and, and, you, and you don't do good deeds to try to become more righteous. No, no, you are righteous. It's, it's who you are. It's what you are. You are God's righteousness. And because you're God's righteousness, you have some covenant rights. Look at Romans chapter 5. So you've got to approach things in life. See, sometimes you just need to tell yourself who you are so you can hear it. You know, sometimes it's okay to get excited when good things happen in life, but just remind yourself who you are. Oh, that's right. This is supposed to happen. I'm God's righteousness. What was I thinking? Romans 5, chapter 1 says, Therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's another thing about grace. People leave grace as salvation. No, grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's when you get what you don't deserve. It's when things happen, you know, it's, it's that divine favor. You know, you walk in favor. Things happen to you that appear to be unfair before man's eyes, but are fair before heaven's eyes. But we'll pick up next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.